Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, Damian Keller, binaural production engineer, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. Which is not going to be called that much longer, is it, Jared? No, it's not. <laughs> I'm going to have to come up with a new intro. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. It's going to be Not Aliens Beyond Prehistory, Rescuing Our Advanced Lost Past. It's not supposed to be a rap, everyone, but it'll look cool on the cover. It's not aliens. Beyond prehistory. Beyond prehistory. Uh, rescuing our advanced past. Rescuing our advanced past. That's still pretty good. Yeah, yeah. With a lot of updates and in color, by the way, everyone. Color? In about a month. It's going to be in color? Totally. Yeah, uh, it puts it over twenty bucks, everyone. But uh, you know what? I'd rather have you all see synesthesia in color than wonder how does a gray plus black equal seven. Yeah, yeah, you gotta see it in color. Like, yeah, like how it, you how are you supposed to identify soil with piezoelectrical properties without yeah. any color? No, it's really dumb. Actually, it's it's just it it just you need the color, and uh, you know it's about it's gonna be about. Nine dollars more, but it's as slim as I can make it to give everyone the the look they need. You know, it's got to be in color. I agree. Gotta. I agree. I love color. And I did think about doing like just partial color, just doing. You know, they're like, why don't you just do like five pages of color, and the rest can be black and white. And I'm like, oh, I hate those books. You know, like, you know, you get really good. Like, yeah, I get it. There's a cost. There's an expense. It's tremendous. I just think you need to see it in color. So I agree. Yeah. And one of the problems with those color books is they always put the, the, the glossy paper color pictures in the middle of the book. And yep. you got to skip to the middle of the book to see the picture yep. that you're talking about on page yep. four. And then you got to go back to like page 150 to see the picture in color. Yep. And, and then you forget what page you were reading to begin with. Uh, I, I've never enjoyed that system. So I just figured I'd rather give everybody a total better quality book with the pages in color, the covers badass, just personal opinion, of course. I'm sure there's people who may not like it or find it to, could go left or right. But I think it's overall a better experience when you're trying to learn everything from megalithic history to synesthesia genetics and going, how is this all related? And it's really, really hard enough to pull all the concepts together, I think, because there's so much to it all. And then you're trying to see it in black and white. It just does not help. Doesn't help. No, no. I, mean, so, I mean, the book is a light read, though. He's completely I'm, lying. <laughs> and I want it to be a light read. You know, people, you know, say that about Michael Cremo's Forbidden Archaeology, and I think... I think Michael has an incredible sense of humor. He's funny. Um, but apparently only a nerd would say that, like me. 
but I think my book is, uh, yeah, it covers a lot of stuff and I definitely want to dig into it for people in the future, which is why we're working on sequels, you know, Jen Dale and I, and I just think that the broadest portion of it, the primer of it is really this book. It's the, you're touching on, you know, conscious collective consciousness, you know, the, the quantum theories of it, uh, the general manifest, you know, if a tree falls in a forest, does somebody hear it? You know, how do you equate that back for the general public into not an equation, but a conversation? It's hard. Very hard. Very, very hard. But still, your book is nowhere near as difficult as Michael Cremo's Forbidden Archaeology. <laughs> yeah, mine's mine's a training wheel read. Um, well, Look, to, to be fair to Michael, and I think everyone should have a copy of Forbidden Archaeology. I do too, I'm, I'm, and I have one. Uh, yeah, I, I, and you know, again, you know, I brought this up before, but we really should do this is, uh, and I'm not digressing away from my book. My book is, uh, you know, when you cover Victor Schauberger, Johan Grander, Imoto Masuru, you know, all the structured water, conscious water, to collective human consciousness and genetics and programming memories and genes to and synesthesia is back to megalithic constructions and cymatic constructions and how do we excavate and what are the theories you know where how did we get like explaining to people where where did this mindset go that we're looking at ancient advanced megalithic structures and saying yeah people in loincloths built that in between hunting because they were bored and it's just bizarre the lengths that we're going through to not see it so pulling the book together to explain all of human antiquity is off and michael cremo's book covers the actual detailed archaeological finds only seven only 700 of them that took him a decade <laughs> and it took me four years to write what i got and now i've revised it so in reality it's been over four years but michael's work is okay so when did we start finding humans in millions of layers of earth well there's the answer it's Every time a paleoanthropologist or anthropologist or uh, archaeologist went digging, they kept finding humans where, well, wait, you know, we're, we're, on the, we're on the event horizon of proclaiming Darwinism to be the, the main, main line here. And then, uh, well, we can't keep finding humans in 5, 10, 20 million, million and a half. You know, we can't find anatomically correct humans, you know, 120 million years old. And that's all they kept doing is finding humans that didn't line up. And Michael just details, and I think where people start to, like, if they weren't going to like it, as they start to go, oh, my God, you know, chapter 7.3.2.1 subsection uh, is about the eolith found next to the neolith found next to the uh, the bones of uh, homo, homo erectus and, you know, whatever. There's, like, uh, you know, that kind of detail, if I haven't already put people to sleep and made them turn off the podcast. <laughs> Blah, blah. Nerd, nerd, nerd. Is that how you're going to organize your sequel books? Or are you going to follow, you're going to follow the same, more readable format? Uh, for Well, so mine is still chapter-based, but the chapters are you know numbered. I added it. Oh, great leading question, by the way, because uh, I added an index, which is hmm. something that should have been there. And the index is so that you can go, and no matter where you are in your research, you know, if you're going paleo, if you're dealing with movement with the human body not mm -hmm. just exercise uh so if you want to look up erwin lacour or ito portal or 
um, Mark Sisson, uh, the paleo world or Rob Wolf, you know, there's names in the book and there's sections about positive gene expression and uh, how all your food and intake, how that all affects, you know, your mind and consciousness. And then, you know, I keep saying synesthesia, well, where the hell's that in the book or conscious or structured water and, you know, finally having a proper index is, I mean, there's just too much, you know, I've tried to, one of the updates is to remind people as they read the book, hey, um, you know, the whole topic is we've literally have at least one massive worldwide global human advanced population. And just a reminder, you know, we're going into astronomy right now and yeah, primitive people like the stars, but that's not why they built the Great Pyramid. You know, it, it, it's a, one of the things I point out in the book is, you know, I, I really was excited when I started learning stuff like Robert Bouval and Graham Hancock and a couple of others, I'm blanking on their names right now, but they collectively uh, worked with Robert on, well, Robert is the one who came up with the Orion theory, you know, about, Am I being, I, I don't know, mm -hmm. has that come up on the show in the last few weeks? Not in the last few weeks, no. Yeah, so for you guys who already don't know or know, it's just that the Giza pyramid was supposed to be pointing, the shafts in the pyramid were supposed to point to Orion. And Well, one is they don't. Two, I mean, they're off. And everything else the Egyptians did is, not the Egyptians, but the people who built that pyramid, the original builders, were very precise because the building is one, uh, 60th of a second off of perfect north by north by south by south. So they didn't accidentally do it. The other thing is that the Orion belts theory kind of gets shot to shit because they, uh, it's a mirror. So it's not laid out on the ground as it is in heaven. It's, it's a mirror and they're not exact. And the deal is those shafts are likely for frequency and wave, which we've talked about, right? Mm -hmm. So they're, for frequency and wave adjustment for the interior of the pyramid to resonate at different uh, frequencies. It's kind of like adjusting a trombone or, or a, a wind instrument that has a slide bar or, or something to that effect. Basically, those shafts in there, I think, are part of that system. And again, you know, we don't have answers on it, but Bouval came up with this idea of it mirroring uh, Orion's belt. And Unfortunately, you know, when you're looking at dynastic people and you're trying to come up with all these romantic reasons, the Egyptians have done this, that or the other. And it's like, OK, well, that's all neat. But, you know, just because you keep dressing the 747 like a grass hut doesn't mean that it's a grass hut. It's a, you know, if you're using a fuselage to an advanced aircraft, you need to see the aircraft and we need to we need to rescue that. We need to re-engineer technology that could help us and. I, I think that uh, the the romanticism of uh, these more recent periods is really just a blur for getting to the truth. It's, yeah. you know, absolutely canceled. One of the other things <laughs> I find, what, what do you think about the great the, the pyramid's location, um, the coordinates matching the exact same number as the speed of light? Coincidence? So, um, or mathematical numeric manipulation? I, I think the, the short answer is it's coincidental, but it's not coincidental because it was random. It's coincidental because we actually don't 
this is a weird one, and I'm going to defer everyone to the YouTube channel Veritasium. And he does a whole thing about how no one knows the speed of light. And it's mind-blowingly fascinating. We actually don't actually know the speed of light. Um, but I do think that pi and you know, pi is an Egan value. And the frequency and wave energy measurements for the Great Pyramid are incredibly complex. Because one of the things I've liked to do for a long time is and for everyone out there, you know, if you go to an old bookstore, if you go to an old garage, you know, go to a garage sale, go to the old books they have sitting there, look for anything really old, like 1960s and beyond. And really old would be great if you could find something in early 1930s, 20s and 10s, but or earlier, but for archaeological finds or anthropology, you name it. But uh, I've always found it really interesting that one of the things that rarely is ever spoken about is some of the earliest witnesses to the Great Pyramid area was that there was seven or nine pyramids. I think it was up to nine, but at least seven. And, you know, it took barely another hundred something years, and then there wasn't seven. There was like four. And so there is something to be said about, I'm not talking about the little ancillary ones next to Menkari or, you know, next to the three that mm -hmm. are there. I'm talking about there, were, there was an assessment and I can't remember who the expedition was, but it was in the early 1700s. And the assessment, the drawing, there's even a drawing for it. But there was definitely more pyramids uh, just within where the three pyramids are. And th those are things to keep in mind when we look at um, the speed of light, when we look at Egan values, when we look at pi, when we look at, you know, what, what are they doing in these shafts? And star alignments in the night sky are not relevant to an advanced society that's you know using a giant low vibration frequency energy machine that you know if we can figure out how much is it uh, working with the earth like uh, is the giant uh, foundation that the great pyramid is sitting in it's you know it's sitting in like a socket a lot of people don't know that it's and a lot of people think that you know the general theory was that the pyramid was built on a on a uh, not a glacial but a uh, a giant pocket of stone mm -hmm. that is hard stone that it was carved into bedrock it could be 100% compacted pre substrates you know it could be that it's actually pre-compacted soils mm -hmm. but or silicas or you know so it could be pure but it could be uncannily pure it could not that it's bedrock it it shows because you know outside of the great pyramid and a lot of people stop and they film and there is a uh a point where people look down on the ground and there's these basically the trilithons of balbeck sized um walking i mean basically these are like 800 to 12 maybe 1300 stone ton uh blocks that are the the, uh, the patio or the plateau that you're walking on it and it, it what's interesting about it is that it looks like one of them is dovetailed together it looks like these i mean it could be like a 14 foot by 20 foot by 45 50 foot long block and 
at the end of it as you're looking top down as you're standing there on top of it because it's literally the patio you're walking on you're looking at um uh basically it very precision uh curvature so it's not it just doesn't make sense that the structure that's there is not not working in some sort of with either earth earthly vibrations or or is it actually attempting to send new vibrations into the earth through these solid foundation blocks and through sifted engineered soils further and further away from the center of the complex those are all things that we need to sort out obviously it's both yeah so then i think there's you know i think the speed of light thing is very interesting and the reason i bring up the veritasium and the speed variance is that i think there's something uh very interesting that we are not we're just kind of getting there between the value of the speed of sound versus the speed of light and i'm starting to wonder whether or not uh light either was skipped as a uh like fiber optics you know, we think, oh, light travels really fast, but then we've learned that speed of light can be or slower than the speed of sound, where we thought, well, the vice versa, or that it was never the other way around. And I think some of the work we're doing in archaeoacoustics is now showing that it's, uh, there's something super interesting about the mechanics of those buildings, all of them, all the megalithic structures around the earth and their relationship to light as, a, as in terms of it being a frequency. So I wonder the coincidence. So this is what I mean. It's an unintentional coincidence. The, the spectrum of numbers within a range of what we're calling, what we know of the speed of light. I think there is a spectrum of programming that includes that bandwidth for the pyramid to function. I feel like in retrospect, I could have said it all that way, and it would have been a lot faster. But if it's if it also like if it's using vibration from the Earth, then we're talking about the Schumann residence. Yeah, and yep. and then or you know it possibly is like maybe it's, it's raising a vibration and sending it up, or and pulling down a vibration and putting it into the Earth. So it could be possibly doing both of these two things as a transmitter and a receiver. Get out of my head. You're in my head. Um, um, you're right. It, the, the, the other thing that does occur to me that if you had a global pyramid network so and the size of them. It, some type of, they, like, I'm, I'm sure like this pyramid had, has multiple uses. You know, One is I don't doubt that it was part of uh, some type of energy network You know that we had a wireless energy type of thing. But I also wonder too now, now I'm thinking about it, Maybe some type of communication device. Oh, I talk about that all the time. We've talked about that, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that's and why I, we, that, that makes sense, though. Is, is it would be, you know, sending and receiving the frequencies. Which you know maybe, um, if you're constantly using machinery that's really just functioning because the very, very, very unaudible, unhumanly audible um, vibrations of the planet are enough at once you hit a certain scale for unlimited gentle energy uh that energy of course is just one format of a machine i mean 
the communication aspect would be identical and parallel. So if you're sending signals into the earth, are is your global network actually controlling the Schumann residence? Are we actually able to control the um, uh, movement of tectonic plates? I mean, even if you really wanted to go out there for sci-fi, mm -hmm. you're talking about a global network that could uh, keep the rhythm like a basically the and I'm only saying that because we have the pyramids left. So you got to think about giant megalithic buildings or constructions or uh, things that may have been metal or whatever other giant earthly structures that could have had great significance to the earth itself. But, you know, they're gone. But what if this pyramid network, because uh, it's easy to visualize being stone, but what if the original, and I'm not talking about Teotihuacan as we see it, I'm not talking about pyramids that have been rebuilt by dynastic people. I'm talking about these giant megalithic uh, polygonal interconnected, uh, you know, the original constructions of megalithic pyramid builders. If that entire network was like a pacemaker for the earth. Uh -huh. That makes sense. So, and then side note would be they're setting up relay stations. And we always do these drawings of pyramids as smooth, four-sided well we already know i mean i don't think we can say it enough the great pyramid is eight-sided mankari mm -hmm. is eight-sided some of those little ones are eight-sided we already know that the uh you know the the bent pyramid is likely intentionally built and it's a frequency generator the two tones and as it's been translated and why wouldn't it be uh within the same technological system to just send and receive cable signals and what we think of as a finished structure with, of stone or casing stones i mean maybe it was riddled with uh satellite dishes uh, not maybe the ones we recognize they could have been nanoed or you know they could have been painted on they could have been metal plating but well, we assume they have a lot they're, they're made out of um stone that contains a lot of quartz crystal in it right see so I don't think we have a clue what the exterior finish. I mean, if we had an eight sided pyramid, we think, Oh, it's gonna be flat and smooth. Well, you know, what if it looked like our typical radio tower, <laughs> you know, <laughs> have like 1 million, like direct dishes disconnected and connected up, you know, it's like that house has been canceled seven times. They have seven <laughs> dishes on the roof <laughs> and they don't care. That you would know? be my house. All right. Go wait. Your current house. Yeah. Epic. Um, so yeah, we don't have a. I don't think we have a clear line of sight on it, and I do think that the structures were part of that bio. Um, you know that the the soil itself, along with those fungal and bacterial networks, those were not random. You know these large. Uh, they are random now. They've devolved. So what we call evolution, I think, is really safe mode evolution. You know, mm -hmm. it's when all this high tech shit had has no more inputs for proper technological direction. Now they're just like, you know, broke. <laughs> <laughs> they're just they're just, you know, now I'm now I'm just a large bacterial network and I'm just living in the soil, you know, not connected to the fabric of this polygonal building anymore or waiting for someone with synesthesia to send a message to that obelisk that vibrates out the 
energy to connect with that server slash communication device, you know, it, it's just, we don't, we don't think like that, you know, well, there's this biology over here. It sure seems to have a lot of ones and zeros and switching, you know, back into, oh, and vibrational medicine is separate and spiritual stuff is separate. And this, uh, you know, uh, high technology ancient thing is, well, that's a mechanical thing, but then, uh, paranormal and, you know, these second sites and all that, that's, that's all a separate thing. And, uh, that's absurd. It just isn't can't be. Don't think. Absolutely. I mean, no. I mean, everything's connected. You're, you're the one, you know, right before we were talking about this is, you know, speaking of collective consciousness, I mean, I know from a seizure standpoint that you're not supposed to have it for more than a few seconds and people die after a minute, but you were telling me about an out of body experience. You want to talk about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I talk about it all the time. I was out for, for 30 minutes and um, I definitely left my body somewhere. I don't know where, but to my best recollection, I can best way I can describe it is like being at the center of the galaxy and there was colors moving around me and there was sounds and it was really peaceful and I didn't have the burden of the body or, or, or thoughts, but I was still conscious and it was one of the coolest experiences ever. Hey, so back up for a second, because that's the overall picture. When you say colors, what kind of colors and shapes were the colors? Was it like a... There was no the, shape can, to the color. It was like so like Was it like I'm, I'm in... Uh, everything around me is blue or green or... It was like all, the, like all that stuff. It was everything you could possibly imagine. And yeah, but were you seeing them at, at a distance or were they like... Like the colors are like in front of you. Like there's a... The light bulbs changing, and, and I, I would say in the distance, because I, I was like in the center of like pure blackness. Were you turning? I don't know. I don't know if I was turning, or if the outside was turning. I couldn't tell. Did you hear anything? Yeah, I, I heard like some type of music. Okay, classical, heavy metal. Like it was nothing like I ever heard before. Oh no, that's interesting. Did it sound like instruments you had ever heard? No. Okay, getting weirder. So did it sound like the shining or did it sound like Friday the thirteenth or Halloween or Jason music or what? None like of what those. was the beat or the, the beat or the rhythm? None of those. It was like um it was very steady. So it didn't have like a lot of pitch to it, but at the same time, it was fluctuating. So it's really that's so why I can't quite describe because I didn't hear it with my ears. Really? Yeah. It was. So it was in your well from the state you were in. It was more of in your mind. Yeah, or or, or in the cosmos, or or. Wherever I was. Did you see planets, people, teddy bears? What? Did you see anything? I don't remember. You know, I, I, I think there was a point, like, like I remember, like, that, that, that being in that center and the swirling in the music. And then I think there's a part where I, I maybe went further where I couldn't comprehend it consciously. And, well, then, and then I re-experienced it as I came back. Did the music happen the whole time or just 
at the beginning or just at the beginning and the end weird like intro and outro credits yeah it's like this podcast was the music the same going in and out at the beginning and the end yeah was it the same tune do you think no no i think it was ever changing it's Did hard it feel to, like it was it's hard to describe it like i like i say it's not wasn't like music that you hear with your ears was it music that in in the cosmos and were, were you floating basically i was definitely floating yeah i was weightless so were you um hearing the music from a direction no it was all like, around okay so the music was all around but the light was in a distance yeah but i think the light and the music were the same thing So I think, think I think the, uh, I think it was all some type of consciousness. Do you feel like there was anybody there with you? Um, the parts that I remember, I'm going to say no. But at the same time, I didn't feel alone. But I didn't feel like there was somebody there either. Did you feel? Did it? Was there fear, anger, scared? None anger. of that. It was absolute peace was the most peaceful thing I ever felt in my life. It was the best feeling ever. Dude, it was better than angel dust. And you Whoa, know and you know how fond and you know how fond I am of dust. We are not endorsing, but that's the <laughs> terrible thing. We are not don't do drugs. Um, let alone that. But uh, I get the transcendental metaphorical aspect of it. You're um you, you have you ever I don't know, either going to sleep or has that feeling or the music or anything ever happen again, no. ever. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I would do anything to go back. In fact, I've actually considered stopping to take stopping my medication, my anti-seizure medication, and, no. get, and getting a strobe light and just have seizures all the time. Okay, also, we're not endorsing that. Talk to your doctor. That's a bad idea. Well, the only reason I don't is I don't want to lose my license. Yeah. But... Well, you know, we have a lot I, of shows to make and some places to go to. I can still do those in between. As long as I can find somebody to drive. Actually, you, you know, we were talking earlier about like Jim. Jim had the same experience as I did. That's like why me and Jim Willis get along so well. Because he had the same exact experience that I had with the seizure thing. He doesn't take seizure medication and he has people drive him around. So he can repeat it. I had no idea. So he's had more than one. Yeah. And we're talking about uh, what? 14 time author Jim Willis. Mm hmm. Um, I did a virtual conference with him for Forbidden Knowledge News. That was just last year. It's fun. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, when, how long ago was his first one? I, I don't know the timing of it. But you know, when, I, when, 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 I, when I shared it with him, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, me too. Crazy. So I'm not the only one. Uh, when, when, when was, how long ago was yours? Two years? Mm, more now, I'd have to say three, three, three years about now. Everyone's done their best to forget the last two years. Um, 
this brings us to an important aspect of it. Did you, while you were there, do you recall of the moments you recall? Do you feel like you were in the future, you said, at one point? I think I may have been in the future because of what happened a week later. And, that, and that's where, you know, I, I received that book in the mail, the Time Paradox book, with a receipt dated six months in the future. So the only way I can explain that is that possibly maybe during a seizure, I entered the consciousness of a future self, somehow sent myself this book on time paradoxes into the past. I don't know how I did it, but I, I think I somehow sent myself a book because I never ordered the book. Yep. The book came with a receipt, but didn't say I ordered it, but it had a date on it. It was six months in the future. And it came yep. from Oxford University. It wasn't like something from Amazon. And and you think you sent it to yourself. I mean, maybe it came from someone else? From the future? I mean, maybe uh -huh. I could have, maybe during the seizure, I could have contacted somebody in the future and had them send, send it to me. Well, I, I would think that anybody who would want to, like, one of the obvious points to, like, say, hey, okay, well, it was because of some other circumstance would be that you had at some point prior that it, that the timing on it just lined up and you got the time paradox book because someone had already had a prior conversation with you about it and it just happened to be when they oh, ordered it, it. this, this was this was pre-podcast well someone's messing with you then nobody was, nobody <laughs> was messing with me i think it was me messing with me i know it doesn't seem like there's another explanation for I, it i mean do you do you believe that you're the only Jared? I mean, I'll go for the Rick and Morty universe. Hopefully, I'm the right. I'm the right Rick. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be that Rick. I don't want to be the wrong Rick or the one that gets chewed up on the experiments. You know, that would be bad. Uh, what do you think? Have, do you think you've had contact with yourself before? I don't think so. Because that was the first. That, that was probably the first and only time I will. What? Uh, unless, I I, unless I stop taking the medication and do the strobe light thing. And... Well, I gotta. I feel like there's another way to do it. I just don't know what that way is. Like I, I can't imagine that that's the only way to achieve those conscious points. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of Wim Hof. I feel like there's meditations that definitely get you there quickly. Well, I mean, I, I can reach other states of consciousness, like when I was doing that remote viewing class and going into the alpha state and doing that. Okay. But, but, but that was still nothing like what I experienced during the seizure. That's actually a very good point. So when it comes to the, at any point during the collective work that you were doing with the uh, um, remote viewing, did it sound or feel, was there any sensation similar to that experience? None. Dang it. Zero. I feel like if we keep tapping back into these old resources that we're going to eventually start having familiar overlaps, not just familiarity, but familiar overlaps that they're going to repeat on themselves or dovetail into one larger system. I think it's just one of those once-in-a-lifetime experiences. That's what Pink Floyd said. Yeah. Comfortably numb. What, uh, I guess, when you were coming out of it, what was your last memory of being in that state? You said... Well, my my know, last memory was like 
like I was, was, was hearing my wife yelling at me, my ex-wife now, telling me to come <laughs> back, and me being like, oh, fuck, I gotta go back. Because she'll be pissed off at me. Otherwise, I got wonder, like, if I could have just stayed there forever, in, like, some type of coma state. Wow. I mean, that would have been kind of cool if I could just kind of stay there in a coma. Well, I'm debating now in my head whether or not there was really an existence for you, like the sensation of floating, the music. What, is it really something you could just sit and be present to indefinitely? Absolutely. Like for an it was Absolutely. that Because there's, there's really no time there. Hmm. Time doesn't exist. So like a turn, he's like, boom. That's so interesting. I'm, I'm feeling it on more than I'm thinking about it. It's just not a. Makes me think back to our megalithic days and a consciously connected planet. I'm wondering if they achieved that level of conscious intelligence. And oh, I I'm wonder absolutely if certain they did. Well, but even, I'm always. I mean, they had to, and I, and I think. Like like we're like earlier we were talking about the speed of light, you know the one thing that that that's instantaneous is the speed of consciousness. But it makes me wonder, like I'm always looking for the collective fail. Like how did they lose a planetary system? And to me, it makes me wonder if there maybe was a they, point where they either... maybe they didn't. Well, I'm I'm hoping for that one, which is why I think we still see remnants of them flying around in assorted other vehicles that we call UFOs, but. I think about what is the moment that they lost it, that they lost the terraformed, full, multi-billion person planet. And I'm wondering if they just collectively one minute hit that plane that you're talking about. And what if they just lost track of time? And they just almost like Serenity, the movie, where they just, they literally connected consciously drifted off into that new space and literally froze where they stood and the whole planet just that's absolutely bopped. possible that they could have evolved themselves right off that they would have just because not even I, a, because if i could have stayed where i was i would have and i'm sure if they were able to achieve it they wouldn't want to come back here well there's a thing it's like if you're mentally there but your body's just standing in the street if the an entire collective society froze like it's in the matrix and they literally just eventually physically drop dead from being disconnected consciously and, and or also stood there until finally either no one was left or until the things that they should have been running just broke and burned and, you know, fell out of the sky. You know, was it their collective uh, escape that they thought was minutes was weeks or months or hours and beyond the fail safes of, large catastrophic equipment that they did it on purpose or somebody did it diabolically no i mean i I mean if i had the opportunity to do it on purpose i would you there individually but if you going there individually was to cause everyone to stop going to their nuclear reactor job and and uh literally freeze where they stand it would destroy society i think just you know that's one of the interesting things like you know people freezing where we stand i don't think it would happen that way because of the observer effect in quantum physics i think it would dissipate 
into nothingness. You mean like those that, but what, if everyone's connected, what if they did it simultaneously? Yeah, exactly. But if they did it all simultaneously, nobody could get out. Like what if they all switched in and nobody wanted to come out? Yeah, that's so the, maybe that's what happened. That's Yeah, that's what I'm saying, is that there was nobody there to collectively get them out. Right. God, that would be weird. That would be so weird. It makes sense. I mean, I think that's almost so far out of the box that <laughs> it, it could actually be true. It's sad, and it makes sense. Jeez. Um, I, I mean, like I said, I, I know I didn't want to come back. I'm still mad well, about it. The, dar I the darkest. I, I wouldn't be having all these dating issues. Oh, none of that now. <laughs> <laughs> That's tomorrow's episode. <laughs> we are uh, happily exploring the universe, everyone. There is uh, <laughs> nothing to see here. Situation normal. The um, collective hiccup uh, that that unintentional fail safe failing and I, but, but, I but imagine that though like there was just a day where, where we achieved what we needed to achieve and we didn't have that fail safe in place we all go to that place that I was in and he said screw it we're not coming back why would we want to come back and, and then all the physical parts just sort of evaporate and it's like nothing ever happened. And then somehow a new species comes up, us, and we find the pyramids and all this other shit. And we're like, huh, who made all this stuff? There's no trace of them. Yeah. That had to be what happened. I definitely think that there's a you know, whether it's uh, the joke about one of these days somebody's going to figure out how their USB port's going to work on the Great Pyramid or, you know, one of these megalithic structures and, you know, plug back in. And I think those interfaces are rusted and dusted and we're looking at the internal um, structures of very complex buildings that, you know, had siding and stuff like that. But you got to wonder, did the society reach what Ray Kurzweil thought of as a singularity? I mean, did they become one with their machinery? Do they become one with um, uh, some transcendental state that was digital in our minds now, but could encompass their bodies? So did they, you know, is the, tr you know, frequently I do an example. I've never actually said this on air, but one of the things that I, for those of you who do know, and I will explain now for those that have not heard, but the idea of collective consciousness is a format along with the magnetic aurora around us, which is identified through Karelian photography, that there is a possibility that our personal memories are stored within that magnetic space around us personally. And then there's a collective consciousness where we may or may not download memories of other people that are kept collectively in the cloud as a, as a means by which one day to reincarnate someone so the sliver of truth and reincarnation which is where i'm going was that uh not that you're reborn but that every one and zero is stored for every individual human 
And collectively, if you're either conscious within your own magnetic aurora or within the collective consciousness, you can tap into Cleopatra or Bill the, coo- the poop scooper at the Roman Zoo 2,000 years ago. You can uh, tap into their uh, being and, and feel and, and thinking and sensations because we're collectively storing all this. Classic um, But one of the things that I don't talk about, and I haven't, was that in the world of reincarnation, you know, the, the theory, well, the, uh, the uh, analogous goes that, well, you know, if you've been bad or good, you know, you become a lesser or more evolved creature. And I think that the part of that that is true, which I've explained to people before, which is that if we were catastrophically left from the planet, I think that aurora, that magnetic field, dissipates into everything around it. So you have, not that you become a grasshopper, but that the ones and zeros that make up who you are as a person end up in all the living or innate objects around you. So what I haven't gone at, though, which I was going to say is maybe one of the other slivers of truths in reincarnation idea, mythology, is that it's not just that the ones and zeros are dispersed and you're um, collectively backed up by you know, a little bit of you in the grass and the plants and et cetera, et cetera, just whatever could grab onto the ones and zeros before it gets collectively remade into you in a rejuvenation machine in the Osirion in Egypt or something, you know, before any of that, uh, I wonder if that other aspect of reincarnation of, um, again, not living other people's lives or, or reincarnating as a new person. It's just that, collectively if we ever worked out the function of the machine again that not only could we hit a button and rejuvenate every human being that's been backed up but if the human population was much larger than it is now which i do think is true based on the ancient engineered soils all over there long setup for everyone sorry stay with me what if uh, some of those ones and zeros some of that programming has been so, and I have mentioned this before about the ones and zeros being kind of a, you know, a scattered disc, a, a broken hard drive that these whales, um, that these large mammals were really organic data storage centers. You know, you can you can be an active animal and not be aware that you're carrying, you know, hundreds of hundreds or thousands of terabytes or millions of terabytes of data you know depending on if you're an elephant or a or a whale i mean what if we've been collectively accidentally killing off uh, creatures that were storing that that those ones and zeros and those inanimate objects that we account for as being inanimate objects are really hard storage like you said high crystalline content so are we looking at very advanced uh, prior human storage. Just saying. So are you? I'm not are, even are, high. Are, are you hypothesizing that maybe their failsafe was us, and we screwed it up? <laughs> <laughs> yep. The files are in the computer. Ah, ah, ah. The files are in the computer. <laughs> uh, we just. Uh, <laughs> Use it for tuna sandwiches. <laughs> huh. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Just a, you know, they're not the brightest monkeys in the trees. <laughs> like they're like, no matter what, they'll figure it back out. Relieving, you know, there's like giant pyramids. The memories will trigger. And still waiting for you guys to pull it out. Meanwhile, we slaughter like billions of terabytes of information by whale hunting and uh, you know, killing off the buffalo and <laughs> building and, over top of the megalithic structures. <laughs> yep. Or you know, you know, we're just we're just assuming that oh, that's evolution and that's just a natural animal. Not thinking of the amount of uh, living terab. I mean, as long as you can, you know, that Harvard work that they started in 2008 about storing human data or you know ones and zeros um, whether it's a book or whether it's a video game whatever but doing it on dna that on a gram of dna we're up to about two terabytes on a gram yeah. right and and it just makes me think again given how connected the planet was that they were uh, storing the collective civilization data across these platforms so here we are, um, and again, the Earth in safe mode is already accidentally. Maybe originally lions weren't supposed to eat all the zebras, right? <laughs> so let's not make it kind here, folks. Where like the lions have it right or don't, or people have it wrong. There's a good possibility the entire data system's literally eating itself and killing itself. Yeah. Not, not in a format that it used to or needed to in order to survive. But, you know, the earliest statements in the Bible on Genesis about, you know, you could, you know, we talked to all the animals, the baby will lay on the cobra's den and it will not bite. And then post-flood, it's a free-for-all in higher sense. You can bet Ted Nugent's life. And <laughs> post, yep, I got that in there. Uh, it's a free-for-all. In the, in the, uh, uh, post-apocalyptic diluvian uh, Noah flood time, God says, well, everybody eat everything. That's quite a change. You're literally eating things that you used to be able to talk to. I mean, actually mm -hmm. talk to. Now, that's a very interesting mythos to have that. And mind you, it's, you know, it goes into Sumerian and other uh, tribes. And I really love the Western uh, indigenous in America where, there is, uh, you know, when they talk about something uh, that was so old, it was when humans could talk to dogs. I, there's too many uh, hints that that was the case. And so the question is, were those helpers? Were they like, you know, is this the basis for all anime? <laughs> like you have your little animal helper, your little Pikachu just saying food for thought hmm. this is like making it see this is what's nerve-wracking to me is that we have all this massive advanced equipment in the ground from the megalithic structures to our genes and it, it appears we can reactivate you know control our inflammatory response and uh like wim hof and steak severance and stuff and there's so many different things that seem to be working or getting back to working the problem though is what destroyed an advanced planetary? That is what is the most terrifying thing to me. Not even all the people that have come and gone and all the wars. It's like, what 
catastrophic event and is it on is it cyclical not because you know we have a calendar oh every 26,000 years and ooh every single time the entire equinox yeah. and the uh the planetary alignments and the no 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 what is going on that a giant massive global population could never get back to where they were what what failed and are we right. but maybe nothing failed maybe they just evolved themselves off and they had a plan or we were to plan to bring them back and we screwed it all up and <laughs> and that's that that's, that's, that's the end of it <laughs> On the dark horse we're riding tonight, folks. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and they're happy where they are, and you know we're we're here killing whales and shit. Um, well, it's so funny because it's like you know every life is sacred. And you're not supposed to do this, that, or the other, and you can often. I my thought was is that you could often wonder that from a technological standpoint, what if in taking time with an animal or only killing one as needed. Uh, allows for the transfer of that animal's um, ones and zeros slash everything it's stored to transfer to the surrounding plants etc and etc you know like we're uh we're participating in a system that did have that built-in redundancy but just not to the volume that you know we're we're putting it through right now um I think it's actually not going to be a bad thing for everyone about to be aghast that if we can fully work out the genetics of birds, uh, you know, chickens, beef, whatever, that I do see it in our lifetime, the printing, the successful printing of beef and basically actual uh, muscle tissue that does not have an entity attached to it, doesn't have a a life attached to it. I think it's, I think we're going to be able to grow meat that will not be fake meat and will definitely be, uh, you know, highly nutritious and edible and won't have any antibiotics. And I think we'll live to see cows and animals. And I'm not saying this just to be friendly to animals. I'm just saying that we're, it's very realistic on the event horizon of, no longer seeing a cow outside of a petting zoo and a farm and you know like we used to kill those you know by the millions i mean that could happen but will we actually do it i don't know i mean we're talking about people that will kill a rhinoceros for its balls because they think their ball <laughs> rhinoceros balls are an aphrodisiac yeah. yeah. <laughs> it looks pretty hopeless to me. <laughs> okay. We're gonna we're gonna ride this dark horse all the way into the stable for everyone wondering. Um so there is a it is problematic that a portion of the world is living a thousand years ago. That is true. And we have to be very honest about uh there are many, I talk frequently about the 150 plus tribes around the planet that are, you know, living what some people would say more congruent with nature. I just think that there's, you know, built in redundancy in the system if you can have people who can survive without modern anything, you know. Um, don't think it's a bad thing, but, you know, when you're still stoning people to death for marrying the wrong person or going to the wrong village or, you know, 
like you said, rhino balls are going to be an aphrodisiac. I mean, crime to get somebody some Viagra. I mean, if there's ever a place to drop it, drop it on the drop it on the people trying to eat these nuts. Right. I mean, I don't think. Yeah. No, I I, I don't want to see more rhinos dead or anything else. But at the same time, I my nephew pulled up an episode of uh, or it was just a six lions chase down a zebra and eat the poor thing while it's alive. It's horrible. Just horrible. I mean, there's a circle of life going on, but it's like these giant cats didn't kill the zebra before they started eating it. I mean, they just downed it and started chewing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just horrible. Can't watch that. Mm-hmm. I mean, circle of life and all that. Scalability as we breathe in millions of microorganisms that are never going to see the light of day again. How's that for perspective? It's tough, man. Like it, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, we're, we're constantly killing. <laughs> I mean, if I can avoid it, I'm, you know, trying not to take anything. But it's scale, you know, just because you can't see it doesn't mean you're not squishing it. Mm-hmm. Or breathing it, sticking it to a lung, never letting it go. That's, um, anyway, that's part of this giant broken biotech sphere that we're on. And I do wonder if you, when you say transcend, so the other thing is like, are these people just literally in the stones themselves? They could be. Are they, are they literally, um, able to collectively feel, touch and think and see each other? Why not? You know, that's. I mean, there's probably enough quartz crystal in there to sustain that type of consciousness. Well, it does. I more frequently than not think that the uh, the group that's flying around and what we're calling unidentified objects, objects that are not you you know military related, I do think that there's a class or a level of whether they were survivors, not part of the advanced culture, or whether they were outliers within this uh, advanced culture, or whether they were objectors to where everybody else went. But most of these unidentified flying objects that we're seeing, I think, are related to that society. The question is, why aren't they... Again, are the rest of them really gone? Did they ascend or lose their, you know bodies or were these people rejected or were they objecting to that lifestyle and did they just hang out and keep earth as a home it's very 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 uh there's one million questions with it and i think that's part of what answering you know not aliens beyond prehistory that's that's what we're talking about it is what we're talking about it, it does. You're, 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 I, I think it's fascinating. Your near-death experience and also floating into that space and not wanting to come back says a lot. Um, I, I didn't ask you, by the way, could you direct where you moved or were you just randomly floating? I was just floating. I wasn't even, I was weightless. So it wasn't even like I was floating. I was just one in this blackness. I was just consciousness. I was just aware. I didn't have a body. It was just my awareness. 
could you direct where you went? Like up, down, left, right? None of those. Yeah. I, I stayed huh. right where I was. Okay. Where I where I fell down on the concrete floor somehow <laughs> became <laughs> the center of the universe. Okay. Um I don't know. I I just wonder what you know, it's kind of like that whole analogy banging on the blinky board. I mean, I'm wondering what higher functions were activated. And as you're in there, I wonder what pieces of the, you know, like, hey, it was amazing. It was beautiful. I never would have left. Well, yeah, you were just living in RAM. You know, you really wanted to check out that solid state hard drive. Or even if you did, you would want to get out and above and back into the ethereal uh, uh, collective, you know, metaverse or something. You know, what maybe you were just at the doorbell. You know, what if, what if as amazing as that felt, you were just, I'm sure, you know, there, I'm sure there was more. Okay. That's why that's why I kind of wish I just got caught into a coma. Okay, well, he doesn't mean it, everyone. It just but kept what exploring. About, well, the colors that you said you saw, I'm still stuck on that, too. Like, can you describe, were they flashing like lightning in the distance, like a storm coming? Were they uh, like a searchlight? No, were it, was, they, like, it, was, fire? it was all around. It was swirling around the center of the blackness. And it was like a cloud. Okay. Like tie-dye? Mm-hmm. So it was like a tie-dye Kind of like what you see behind me. <laughs> but it, did it flash? Did it, like, get brighter or muted? Or did it kind of stay all the same? It just morphed. Morphed into different colors and different brightnesses. And it was just constantly fluctuating. There was no... So it was like tie-dye camouflage mm -hmm. that's very interesting huh it's hard not to think about it for everyone listening we get so deep into this stuff and we like to be raw and, and right there and this is one of those times where it's like I'm I'm feeling out what he's describing and I, I well, it was just uh, awesome dude I mean, it's just so cool <laughs> you heard it and, better and, than and, Angel does. and afterwards I was never the same I mean, I can honestly say that. That afterwards, uh, like like one thing after that, you know, I was like, definitely not afraid of dying. No, I know you're doing fact, an interview. I'm, with in fact, Jim. I'm looking forward to it. He doesn't mean sooner, though, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's going to happen when it's going to happen. Oh, good point. But the, I, mean, uh, I, I mean, that's why I'm willing to jump off the side of the Grand Canyon. Oh uh, well. Oh, you got you know, to you get your butt back up out of it. Um, there's that. Uh, but I'm wondering. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about that actually. So yeah, as soon as we get back there, I, I got to tell you, we got to find that. But I don't. I don't think the Kincaid Cave is where we thought it was at all. I don't think it's there. I mean, hopefully we can do some thermal imaging and find mm -hmm. it. But boy, what a pain in the butt! Absolute pain in the butt. Well, we might have to cover the whole canyon. Um, God, I hope not. Yeah, it might take a year or so. Um, you know, there's 150 miles and it's over 18 miles wide. Uh, there's a lot of caves that have never been explored. There's so much work to be done in the canyon. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, 
Well, that that's one aspect. I, I think that the work that's going to be done in uh, some of the other expeditions planned, I guess I'll just say that, I think, are going to be very fruitful. But identifying these ancient lost technology sites and the functionality is, I think, will lead to plenty of breakthroughs. I'm just hoping sooner than later. But again, uh, what you're experiencing, I think you were tapping back into a more advanced system. And I don't know, without our current bodies, if the system in safe mode allows for the same connection when you're gone. So by gone, I mean, when this body's gone, I don't know if you're stored in sleep mode. So while we're in safe mode, you're in sleep mode and you really don't have a consciousness until somebody unwraps the Rubik's cube to the point where we can actually direct the DNA editing. Uh, we can, you know, recall people. So this, this, like, like, like when I talk about, you know, me going into a future self possibly, right? How about imagine this, that our my past self also exists and my past self does know how to get us out of safe mode interesting um i do wonder if there's a battle of consciousnesses like if there have been uh various i'm talking in our very ancient past our very so, so so my past self could be fighting my future self Right. Trying to prevent an awakening. Uh-huh. That's part of what I've thought about is exactly that. What if there's various groups from those periods uh, that don't want to... You know, like One of the things that I can't help but think is it seems to me that this worldwide system was a pretty good system and then somebody's worked really hard for it to not ever get reactivated. And why is it? Did we leave the planet? Did we colonize Mars? Did we colonize the moon? Did we colonize beyond the solar system? Did we get too big for our britches? Did we, was there more of not just a global, but a, a solar uh, argument fight? I mean, we, we don't have, did one group ascend before another and then decided to whip back around and, you know, cancel the upload? You know, some of these large orbiting asteroids or meteors that we identify, one of them, like the one that everyone went bananas about, the cigar-shaped one that mm -hmm. they just thought was an alien probe. I mean, what if we're really looking at a deep uh, cycling uh, Hubble telescope from 100,000 years ago or older? You know, it, it's on a deep, it, it, it would literally be deep orbit on Earth. The reason mm -hmm. it's cycling isn't because it's random it's not because it's from some space junk we picked up from a different galaxy or something it's it's actually it right so it it reports at different you know annualizations just they set it up that way i wouldn't doubt that they wouldn't have machinery that would communicate with it on its furthest reach but we know that our telephoto lenses again for everyone listening the pictures that come back from our satellites that say oh we took a picture of this gas giant or this nebula 
or this uh, beautiful galaxy or something, frequently um, a lot of the telescopes we use are radio frequency. So they're, they're interpreting a signal like Morse code, directly mm-hmm. like Morse code. They're just interpreting the signal and saying, this is what we're seeing because of the signal. It's not like the Hubble telescope where it's actually taking photos. And so I wonder if in their generations of res- resolutions for that, it was to create satellites that just went on these insane orbits that could actually exit the solar system and photograph in different directions. And then, you know, then it, as it comes within range, it, it's, you know, can download the info or whatever. So those are just some thoughts that will not make it into the astronomy. You know, there's only so much you can talk about in one book. Uh, like you said, it's a much lighter read than Michael Cremo. <laughs> There, you know, there, there, there is a broad. The reason I went broad wasn't because I wanted to just touch on everything, but I do think that people are on different parts of their journey. Like some people have had these near-death experiences, some of them have had transcendental experiences, some of them had none of it. They're working on it, or they're trying these meditations and diets or movement, and um, so not only are they doing personal experimentation and paranormal and all those other experiences are not just guiding them, but it's guiding, it's guiding their curiosity to learn. And I think that with our ancient megalithic history being as advanced as it was and ancient engineered soils being related to connecting to the buildings and frequency and energy control of earthquakes, but also communications. And, uh, and then this, I think what is probably a biotechnical RAM and memory board. I think that we're, um, we're going to see some pretty amazing stuff get revealed. I think I'm not just being optimistic about that, but I do think it'll be pretty spectacular over the next couple of years. I hope so. Yeah, I guess what else can he say? Better than angel dust. And rhino balls. (laughs) I just, people, I just... Like, don't you want to stop and think, like, why would eating these balls be helpful? Like, just work it out, folks. I mean, the barriers of intelligence you got to reach for you to decide. I'm going to eat balls. I mean, if we were really stuck and had no food, you're going to eat the whole animal, I guess. Yeah. I'd rather have ball soup. <laughs> I just said that on everything imaginable. <laughs> Shortly after poor Bob Saget has now been uploaded again. <laughs> for everyone, for you to have a timestamp, Bob Saget has left the planet yesterday. I thought it was today. Uh, uh, no, yesterday, I think. And then he, uh, or they discovered him and hmm. sorted out what it was. I think it was yesterday. What did he die from? Uh, apparently it was natural causes. Died in his sleep. Hmm. Yeah. You know, super bummer. Yeah. It happens. But he's not yeah. going to want to come back. Well, the question is whether or not you're consciously aware of being able to come back. I mean, it, it all comes back to, you know, do things get, do you get to actively participate 
in safe mode or when you're uploaded and are, are, are you really, you know, are you able to, I don't think the system is designed right now for us to reload, like be, you know, what we're thinking of in reincarnation. I don't think it's, I don't think that's what exactly happens. I think you get stored, but I don't think you get to come back because I, I don't think we know how to do that. I think it's something we could, that has to be intentional. We're not quite there. I don't know. One of the plan things that I plan on exploring this year is past life regression hypnosis. I want to try it, see what happens. Okay. I'm really curious about it. Well, what, uh, I don't know. What, what have, have you looked into starting or? Not yet. I mean, I got a whole year to work on this. Don't, don't you have another uh, remote viewing thing coming up too? Yeah, I don't know when that is. He, has, he hasn't scheduled it yet. All right. So now for everyone listening, they're live planning either remote viewing classes, uh, movement, possible Wim Hof, and a uh, new book is coming in a month. Everyone, not aliens, not aliens.com, not aliens YouTube. Gary. <laughs> Is that a hint, man? You want me to wrap this up? <laughs> no, it's more of just like I'm excited that I'm putting out a color book finally after all this time and that, you know, it's a definite massive endeavor to, you know, revise a book and get it updated. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy it's happening. Me too. I'm excited and to see the color. Will I be able to get an autographed copy of the color version? Again? Yes. <laughs> when I come out, does that mean you're getting me a copy of your book? Yeah, I have to get some copies of my book. I don't even have copies of it anymore. Maybe my, next, maybe my next book. What are you going to write again? It's going to be called Bewilderment Guaranteed. The only book on confusion you'll ever need. <laughs> That's epic. Uh, <laughs> complimentary. You can't it's have one edition. without the other. No, you're going to have to make it a trilogy, though. You're going to you're you're owe everyone one more book then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I think that. For our for musing's sake, I think this wasn't pretty bad. This wasn't bad. I mean, I think we, uh, from auto body experiences to uh, not aliens update, I think we've gone well beyond prehistory. <laughs> Way beyond. <laughs> uh, I worked in that second part of the title again. I, I think every time we talk, we somehow push it a little bit further, <laughs> which is hard to believe. I know. Well, it sounds like your guest tomorrow is going to take you into an element that I didn't even know was possible. Jim? Oh, Jim is going to be, I mean, the fact that you guys are on the same page and have had the same experience and he's talked about the same thing is very, uh, very, very fascinating. I, I just, it's so interesting because I, I do think it relates to this, our lost, our lost selves. Yeah. So I have some doctor tomorrow too. I'll figure it out tomorrow. Hmm. Well, if it is it about uh, past lives? 
I have no idea. Man. I don't know. Sometimes I just get out here and interview people. I don't even know what I'm talking about. See, this is this is the this is where we are. This is Gary's gonna put on some really cool transcendental bumper music for our outro. And uh, we are gonna be doing Mary Joyce together coming up this week. Yeah, right? absolutely. That's gonna be fun. Yep. So we are gonna be talking we're gonna be doing some uh some underground bases and cashiers. Yeah. Cash what is it? Cashiers from space? Yeah. Mary Joyce, I love talking to Mary. I am looking forward to it. I haven't talked to her in a long time. Yeah, she is awesome. Yeah, I'm really sorry I haven't talked to her sooner, but yeah, that's looking forward to it. Me too. All right, man. So before we wrap this up. Where can my listeners find you and this wonderful core edition of your book? Oh, I will give a notification. You guys are getting a pre-heads up. It should be out in about a month. It will be available on notaliens.com, which you can come join up right now anyway. Help support the expeditions and going back to the Grand Canyon and a number of other super fancy expeditions that are going to be very exciting and uh, hopefully very informative because they are works that no one else has ever done but until then subscribe at not aliens youtube not aliens rockfin also there and not aliens.com lots of good stuff in the private member area and i appreciate the support and you heard it here first folks yes because as gary's already mentioned we co-host exactly. every month <laughs> on everything imaginable or really like almost like Every week lately. <laughs> yeah, which, um, which yeah, good. but you you have such a heavy show schedule. I'm like a fraction. You're like, you're you're just a boss. You're just constantly recording. It's epic. This month I'm doing good. This month I have about thirty. Oh, busy. Yeah, it's a good month. My my schedule is going to get back up there. Also, I kind of figured that between everything imaginable, dark hour. A little bit of the cosmic salon. Uh, I kind of fully expect to be kind of kind of back at that fifteen range, and then not aliens will do about fifteen a month, and then I, of course, I'm guesting on shows, so I'm I'm fully expecting to be back over that thirty myself. So it's going to be busy. That's what we got to do. Yep, and there will be conferences coming up that hopefully I'll be live participating in, and. We'll let everybody know about those too. So if you want to come to a live um, event and meet, we will give you guys the heads up on that. Hopefully, yes. weeks or months and prior. I, and I may be at some of these too, ladies. Yeah, I said we, we, we. You're gonna, I'm gonna make Gary come no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, man. I'm gonna play the outro.
Michael the Merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon, and it will change your life. Because remember, 